You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Mark says he led them up on a high mountain, apart by themselves. That took them a while, y'all. That took some hours of climbing. It took some sweat. It took some effort. It took some perseverance. But they said anything he's got to say, it's worth hearing. That's the difference between a disciple and the crowd. And I want you to be that way. I want you to think that way. If the Holy Spirit wakes you up at four in the morning and says, got something I want to say to you. I want you to be a mountain climber. In our world today, it can be easy to blend into the rest of the crowd by being a casual follower of Jesus. In our country today, over half of all Americans say they know Jesus without ever setting foot in a church. Today, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that you need to be bold in your faith and stand out from the rest of the world. No matter how unpopular it might be to live a life of sacrifice to Jesus, it will always serve to bless you in the long run. Leave the lies of this lukewarm world behind and rest in God's promises. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Mark chapter 9 as he begins his message, Defining Moments. Here we are, Mark 9, 2 through 10. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. And another version says, so he said, not knowing what to say, he said, because he was freaked out. That's the revised Wickwire version. But they were frightened. Now notice he wanted to build a house on a move of God. He wanted to contain a move of God, which you can't do. All you can do is ride a move of God. You can't hold a move of God or cage a move of God or own it either. Now, then a cloud appeared and enveloped them and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, there's Mark's suddenly. He uses it all the time. Suddenly when they looked around, They no longer saw anybody with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Now, I love the word. I've realized at 54 years old now, I've been preaching since I was 18. So I have been preaching exactly two-thirds of my life. And that's a blessing to me. I'm so glad I didn't start way later. But I got touched. I had a defining moment at 16 with God. Then I had a major defining moment at 18. And that defining moment, then I'm gonna talk about it a little bit more as I get into the message, altered my whole life and I began to teach and preach the word. And now I've been doing it 36 years. I just can't even believe I'm saying that. Two thirds of my life. And I've seen that our God is a God who brings defining moments. And I've realized that if God allowed me to preach a million years, I wouldn't even come close to exhausting what is in this book. It would still break open to me. It would still come alive to me. 
And I would find messages and be inspired with things from this word that I've never preached. If he let me live 5 million years, I wouldn't exhaust what's in this word. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus led them to a high mountain. And we've noticed that the book of Mark is the book that reads like a newspaper. It is the book of immediacy. His favorite word is suddenly or immediately. He uses it all the time. If you're gonna tell a new convert what to read, tell them either John or Mark. There's not a paper in the world that can compare. It reads quick. Mark focuses way more on Jesus' actions than he does his teachings. You're not gonna get an understanding, a good one of what Jesus taught unless you read Matthew or Luke because they expound on what Jesus taught. Mark was watching what he did. Now it says that Jesus led them to a high mountain. You search the scriptures and you'll find that God does some of his strongest works on mountaintops. And when I study this just a little bit, it's amazing to me how many things God did on mountaintops. There's literal mountaintops and there are spiritual mountaintops. Let me give you an example. It was on top of Mount Moriah that God led Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and tested his faith. On Mount Horeb, God called to Moses out of the burning bush, take off your sandals. The place where you're standing is holy ground. He said, go deliver my people. All of that happened, Mount Horeb. The bleak and the barren Mount Ebal was the place from which uh, curses were to be pronounced if Israel strayed away from God. You can find it in the Bible. Look it up in your concordance, Mount Ebal. And it was from Mount Gerizim that blessings were to be pronounced if Israel obeyed God. So if they obeyed God, then blessings were to be pronounced from a mountaintop. If they disobeyed God, curses were to be pronounced from a mountaintop. It was on Mount Carmel where Elijah called down fire from heaven in such a dramatic fashion and defeated the prophets of Baal. It was Mount Zion, the city of David, holy Jerusalem, Jerusalem built on a mountaintop, Mount Zion. And it was there on that mountain that the ark and the tabernacle found a resting place in David's day. It happened on a mountaintop. On Mount Moriah, the glorious temple of Solomon was built. From Mount Pisgah, Moses gazed on the land of promise. From that mountaintop, he looked and saw, there it is. The land of promise, milk and honey, the inheritance of Israel. It was on Mount Sinai that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on a mountaintop. It was on Mount Nebo that God took his servant Moses home. And they've never found the bones. And Jesus chose a mountaintop for some of his greatest teachings. We know that the Bible says in Matthew 5 that he went up Mount Olives and when he was seated on the mountaintop, his disciples came to him. And it was on the Mount of the Beatitudes. He delivered his famous Sermon on the Mount. On a mountain in Galilee, he was transfigured. Look at all of these times when God used a mountaintop for a defining moment. From the Mount of Olives, he ascended into heaven. And guess what? He's gonna return onto a mountaintop. The angel said, see how he went up? 
They said, when he returns, he will land on the Mount of Olives. And so the prophet said, he will land on top of the Mount of Olives and it will cleave in half. And from a mountaintop, he will judge the nations of the world. God uses mountaintops. He's a God of the, the valley. He's there with you, but he's also a God of the mountaintop. Now, can I just tell you, and I'm just gonna slip into a prophetic mode just for a second here. I believe we're headed for a mountaintop. I believe we're headed for a mountaintop. It's time in the cycles of God and the way that he deals with things, we're headed for a mountaintop. It's on the mountaintop he speaks, he reveals, and look, it's on a mountaintop where he went up. We read all the time in the gospels, Jesus went up into a mountain to pray. And scripture declares, as I've already said, when he comes back, it'll be on a mountaintop. So God is a God of mountaintop experiences. That's our God. Now that's what I wanna to talk to you about today. Mountaintop experiences with God or what I wanna call defining moments. How many of you would like to have a defining moment with God? Oh, it's good stuff when you have one. You ought to all raise your hand and say, me, 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 please me. Because God, God brings defining moments. He brings mountaintop experiences. Now, I'm talking to people who are disciples, apprentices of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking to cultural or casual Christians who make it to church a couple of times a month, like they're punching their time clock. Then they go home and say, well, I did my duty for God, my country, and my Christianity. I'm talking to people who want him every day. I'm talking about people who have made up their minds to follow him every day. You want Jesus more than you want anything else. You are, you are in hot pursuit of God. You want God to change you and rearrange you and do some new things in your life. You want to become everything he has called you to be. You want to grow into the fullness of the stature of the son of God. I think that's who I'm talking to. If I'm talking to you, if that is you, can you raise your hand and say, amen? Come on, church. We live once and then we die. It's not how long you live, it's how you live that matters. And it's time to get red hot for God and follow him with everything we've got because mountaintops are coming. But I want you to notice something. I see that those who had mountaintop experiences with God had to be willing to be mountain climbers first. Matthew 5, 1, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, when Jesus saw the vast crowds, he went up into the mountain. And after he had sat down, his disciples, notice who came to him, his disciples came to him. Notice that there were two kinds of people. When you read Matthew 5, you'll find that huge crowds were following Jesus heretofore. But when they came to the mountain and Jesus climbed to the mountaintop and sat down to teach, the only ones who climbed up after him were his disciples, his apprentices. It wasn't that the crowd wasn't invited. What you see is two different kinds of people, mountain climbers and bottom dwellers. Now, if you're from East Texas, a bottom dweller is a catfish. And, and I make it sort of a little rule of my own. I don't eat bottom dwellers, except I can't resist shrimp from time to time, which is also a bottom dweller. But you know, the fish that are along the bottom and, and, and we won't talk about what's on the bottom there with them and, and why they're called bottom dwellers and why some people avoid them. But I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about people who followed him as long as it was easy, but when he climbed the mountain and went to the top of the mountain, the crowd 
decided, well, you know, it's been a great gig and a great trip. We really enjoy listening to you, Laura, but when you go to do something that is strenuous, well, we're going to have to really work to follow you up there. Excuse if, excuse if we remain at the bottom. Churches are made of two kinds of people, mountain climbers and bottom dwellers. I'm going to tell you. I told you about the guy that slapped me on the back one Easter at Will Rogers and said, thank you, preacher. You bless me every year. <laughs> you know, to me, it all comes down to Jesus. If he was who he said he was, and if he is who he said he is, and if we are going to answer to him someday, if he climbs a mountain, I go with him. If he goes through a valley, I go with him. Wherever he is, you will find me. To me, it's not casual Christianity. It is, I'm not only saved, but I'm a disciple. I'm an apprentice. I, I apply what he taught to the best of my ability. I'm working at it. I don't succeed 100%, but I guarantee you, I'm earnest. I'm sincere. And, and that is that I follow what he taught in life and living. He's not just my redeemer, he's my teacher. So if he goes up into a mountain and he's gonna teach, buddy, I'm right behind him. And I'm sitting there. Look what the mountain climbers, those who did not mind being inconvenienced, look what they were privy to. They got to hear the greatest single teaching, the greatest single philosophical discourse in the history of the world in person. When he was with the crowds, he was more general. But when he went up that mountain, he opened up to them Virtually, he touched on every single thing that matters in life and living. And they got to hear it firsthand. They were sitting there. The crowds were there as long as it was easy. The disciples were those who climbed mountains to seek him. His disciples came to him. Mark says he led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. That took them a while, y'all. That took some hours of climbing. It took some sweat. It took some effort, it took some perseverance, but they said anything he's got to say, it's worth hearing. That's the difference between a disciple and the crowd. And I want you to be that way. I want you to think that way. If the Holy Spirit wakes you up at four in the morning and says, got something I wanna say to you. I want you to be a mountain climber. I want you to roll out of bed and make a fast track for the prayer closet and say, Lord, I don't care what mountain I got to climb, what bed I got to roll out of, how inconveniencing it is for me. I want to hear what you've got to say. That was the disciples. That's why they were disciples. I guarantee you, those are the people that God shares his secrets with. Those are the people who have their finger on the pulse of what God is doing. Now, let me just move on. Mountain climbers in the natural, they got to be determined, take time, have courage, show effort and exercise perseverance or they're never gonna to get to the top of a mountain. These people that climb Mount Everest for whatever crazy desire gets in their heart, I guarantee you they've gotta have determination, perseverance, courage. They've gotta take time and effort and blood, sweat and tears, but they do it to get to the top. For them, just the accomplishment is worth it. What about having, what about having the ear of God? What about God talking to you about things you need to know about? I want you to be mountain climbing Christians. What the mountain climb? I've only climbed one mountain in my whole life. I was 14 years old and we went to New Mexico and I was with a group of, of boys and, and, and just like a little one month long 
excursion in the, in the wilderness. And it was, it was kind of neat. Halfway up, but we climbed Pecos Baldy in New Mexico, all the way to the top. It took us about three days. We would pitch a tent halfway up, third of the way up. One of these little clear tents, I'd sleep in a sleeping bag. I remember about a third of the way up. I got sick as a dog on a log. I, can I just say it in church, threw up. Sick. It was the altitude was affecting me. But you know what? They kept saying, when we get to the top, you're not going to believe the view. When we get to the top, you're not going to believe. You can see the world curving in the distance. When we get to the top, and they kept talking about what they did, they built a vision in me so that I wanted to get to the top of that thing. And we got to the top of this mountain, and there was a rolled up, put it in this little crevice of rock, a rolled up list of names of people who had made it. I grabbed that thing, I Jeff Wickwire. And I looked and they told the truth. There stretched out in front of me was the globe curving off into the horizon. You could see the earth curve. Sheets of snow, wildlife stretched out behind you. Eagles flying at the top. We climb where eagles fly. And the climb was so worth it when I got there. I have never Follow Jesus through any inconvenience that once we arrived at whatever arrival gate he was taking me to, there was not a view. There was not something there that bottom dwellers never get to see. Never get to see. Well, I could stay right there, but I got to move on. Say with me, a mountain climber. Can I tell you the truth about the Lord in these last days? God is looking for mountain climbers in these last days. He's looking for mountain climbers. He's looking for mountain climbing Christians. Wherever Jesus goes, we go. Wherever he parks, we park. When he picks up, pulls up tent pegs and moves on, we move on. Listen to a few mountain climbers. David, oh God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you to see your power and your glory. That's the longing of a mountain climber. Listen to Daniel. On threat of being thrown into the lion's den, if he prayed to God, it says of him in the Bible, quote, he went home and with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt and prayed and gave thanks before his God three times every day, as was his custom from his youth. That's the courage of a mountain climber. Listen to Paul. On threat of tribulation and imprisonment, Paul said, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may finish my race with joy. That's the fearlessness of a mountain climber. Mountain climbers of the spiritual kind will face inconvenience and trouble and danger and persecution. They don't care. Anything is worth it to climb where he goes. And we will gladly persevere. We will sweat. We will arise early. We will pray late. We will remove distractions, anything that keeps us from him. And we will do whatever it takes to reach the top of the mountain so that we can listen to him. You're either a mountain climber or a bottom dweller, or I guess you can be somewhere in between. I tell you, it's more fun climbing the mountain. Now, the second thing I see is mountaintop experiences are defining moments. I want you to listen. Let me quote Patrick Morley to give you an idea of what a defining moment is. Patrick Morley describes a defining moment as a watershed experience that shapes a person's character and determines the direction of his life. Defining moments determine destiny. 
They reveal our identity and our character, who we really are. They often represent signposts that mark the transition from one season to another. That's a defining moment. A defining moment or a mountaintop experience is when Jesus is uniquely and gloriously revealed to us. That's a mountaintop experience. That's a defining moment. Mark records, he was transformed before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth could bleach or whiten them. A defining moment is when Jesus is uniquely and gloriously crystallized and clarified where you see an angle or a part or a fullness of Jesus you've never seen before. You know that you know him. You know that you are saved. But a defining moment in God, that's what I'm talking about now, in God, is when you receive a visitation from God, when God touches you, when God comes into your life and, and, and touches you in a way that you never forget it, you never shake it, you are never the same afterwards. And thank God for those experiences. And it is in those experiences that we say, well, I knew him, but now I really know him. You know who I'm thinking about right now? I'm thinking about the disciples in the boat. They've been following him around, going where he went, watched him do miracles, watched him heal the sick, watched him cast out devils. But they get into the boat. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. They're halfway across when suddenly a storm, a raging furor sweeps down on them. The boat is filling up with water. It looks like they're about to perish. And they say, Lord, don't you care? And Jesus stood up and rebuked the winds and the sea and everything became calm. And what did they say? Who is this? What was happening to them? They were having a revelation of him they had not had. Though they knew him, now they knew him better. Everybody say with me, revelation. And God will give you those times. You know why? You got to have them. You got to have them to grow. You got to have them to get your bearings you got to have them to realize who you are and who he is and where you're going. Defining moments. Who is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Ah, there's the million-dollar question. You just had a defining moment. Man, I love that. That just moves me to the marrow of my bones and back again. I love defining moments in God. Our God is a God who is endlessly, continuously unfolding himself to us. If he gave it to us all at once, we would blow up and die. Now, defining moments confirm things we have believed. They confirm things we've already believed. They saw him standing there. Now watch this. Now they're following him around. What have they been telling people? He's the Messiah. They already believed it. But they only understood in part. They only understood in, in percentages, in fractions. They didn't understand the way he wanted them to before he went back up to heaven. So it says they saw him, what, what happened? Here's Jesus, they've been following him around now for a while, and all of a sudden, folks, you gotta get this, use your sanctified imagination. All of a sudden, they're on a mountaintop, and Peter and James and John are looking around going, cool, this is nice up here, why are we here? All of a sudden, something very, very supernatural began to happen. Jesus transformed in front of them. 
This is something Spielberg can never match. When extraordinary things occur in your life, what do you pinpoint as the cause? Is it fate, dumb luck, or maybe even the golden rule? In today's message, Pastor Jeff illustrated for us that the only thing you can put your faith in is the grace of God. His promises will always ring true, and He will never abandon you. If you want to get some direction in your life and find purpose beyond just the motions, accept Jesus into your heart and believe in His divine intervention. We'd love for you to have additional resources. Here's Diane with more. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard today, we'd like to know. You can call or text us at the following number and share your thoughts. That number to text is 817-484-4767. Once again, that's 817-484-4767. Thanks for being a part of this ministry and helping it continue to be an encouraging and uplifting resource for you and others. Now I'll hand it back to Daniel as he gives a preview of what's next. Can you think of a specific time that changed your life forever? Is there someone or something that made you rethink everything that you had ever known? In the next part of A Journey with Jesus through Mark, Pastor Jeff shows us what it means to live a life full of purpose. The impactful moments of your life aren't just random occurrences. Instead, they are the Lord intervening on your behalf. Lean into the glorious plans that God has in store for you. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting hardwired.org. Join us next time to continue our study in the book of Mark right here on Hardwired.